It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 184, Hezekiah's Revival The story of Hezekiah is a lesson on how to radically change a country. In the midst of wickedness and evil worship and a demon-possessed king in a place devastated and ruled by fear, we see one of the greatest biblical history revivals of all time, filled with miracles and prophecies and one of the greatest demonstrations of God's power ever seen on the earth. If we doubt this, one of the scenes coming up is the only scene in the Old Testament stated by three different books and writers. In the middle of the reign of King Hosea of northern Israel, Hezekiah becomes king as a regent with his father Ahaz in Judah. It must have been interesting for him. Like we mentioned before, Hezekiah was not Ahaz's firstborn or second or thirdborn son. Ahaz sacrificed many children in the fire to Molech and lost another in battle. Hezekiah just happened to be the next in line. Ahaz most likely was a paranoid kind of king, a reclusive sort, hiding away and coming out when he had to, his eyes and heart blackened by his endless sins. His son Hezekiah was probably his hope. But Ahaz probably never expressed too much emotion, except when he was angered with the prophet Isaiah, whom he banished from the palace, though they were related. The more reclusive King Ahaz got, the more Hezekiah actually ruled the country. And as regent, Hezekiah began taking on judicial hearings and sitting with his father and making key decisions. Hezekiah watched ambassadors come and go from various states, and he couldn't help but notice the difference between the warlike Assyrians who showed up often to haul away their treasures and charming diplomats who showed up to court the favor of their father from Egypt and beyond. Other nations who desired no more part of Assyria were often courting even his favor. Hezekiah was not without his faults. The palace atmosphere invited him into the halls of power and prestige and the sin that accompanied his father. His father taught him how to worship his idols. At first, Hezekiah followed his father's path. Yet, as his father faded from reality, Hezekiah was convicted more and more of the sins and the pattern of sins that he took on from his father. Now, before we go too far, I want to make clear we don't know for sure what happened. Uh, with Hezekiah and how he arrived the way he did. Because his father was one of the worst men in Israel's history, and yet Hezekiah turns out to be one of the best. There's a lot of ways this could have gone down, but let's go with the one we can relate to the most. Hezekiah had a radical encounter with God, or salvation experience as a young adult. Running with this approach, we'll be able to understand Hezekiah much better. After Hezekiah becomes king, he has many radical encounters with God, aided by the prophet Isaiah. Obviously, the prophet Isaiah has access to him um, as family and prays for him daily, and his heart receives it. One of the first actions of Hezekiah, and agreeable with all, would have been the reparations of the walls of Jerusalem, reforms in the army, and war preparations if it occurred again. 
Next, Hezekiah introduced other things, slowly not overstepping his father too fast, whose mental capacity was fading. He convinces his father to allow the temple of God to be reopened, and Isaiah is seen more and more in the palace, specifically in the company of young Hezekiah. Hezekiah's friends would have seen the difference, his eyes bright and full of energy, his energy spent on projects and innovations for his country, and his free time was being spent with Levites and the prophet Isaiah versus his older friends and his his sinful activities and versus following the pattern of his father. Wisely, Hezekiah still allowed tribute payments to Assyria. It wasn't until his father's death did he make that fateful step. Next, he commissioned some engineers to explore the possibility of making his city siege-proof by connecting the Gihon Spring to the city's main water source within the city walls. If he could do this, he could create a virtually siege-proof city with its own water source within the walls. More to come on the Gihon Spring and this engineering marvel. The engineers began their work of surveying. Some of them probably came back with horrible negative responses. Others were more creative with possibilities to work around. I get the feel Hezekiah wasn't going to take no for an answer. He pushed his engineers until they came up with a solution, and he picked and prayed over the best proposals, and work began. Many of these projects probably pleased his fathers, but others did not. Though he was aging and physically deteriorating, in the spirit, he still served his idols and probably had moments of over-involvement, overstepping of his son. This involvement probably really irritated the hard work, hard-focused, workaholic-type behavior Hezekiah displayed. There was probably a counter-order to some spiritual decisions when Hezekiah chose to reopen the temple of the Lord. Ahaz, though agreeing at first, probably found the strength to rebuke his son later. There was probably a lot of back and forth going on, and I'm leading into this for a reason, because I have a suggestion to to make through this. Now, we don't know for sure the interactions between Ahaz and Hezekiah, but they were polar opposites in their values and their worship. I mean, complete opposites. Though they ruled as regents together, one worshipped God, the other one didn't. The more Hezekiah went towards God, probably the the more Ahaz would stand against his son until there was times when they were yelling at each other, until one day there was nearly a clash, but the old man Ahaz found himself in a coughing fit. But this is where I'm going to suggest something. Father and son were not getting along until one day Ahaz went too far, crossed his son, and Hezekiah, though he shouldn't have, walked out on his father and told him he would never see him again. Ahaz was furious with his son for some deed he had done. It was probably very unimportant, but a demonized father doesn't care about logic. And Hezekiah had allowed unforgiveness in the last four other instances where his father interfered with his work. Hezekiah had the respect of the army at this point, and his father didn't dare interfere anymore. House arrest or bed rest, we don't know for sure. But Ahaz aged quickly in his home, surrounded by servants who kept him entertained, yet as far away from the real king at this point, Hezekiah. In the end, Ahaz would die a few years later, ending the problems of powerful dual monarchs. But Hezekiah, I'm suggesting he didn't even attend his funeral. In fact, he acted like he never died, as bitter as he was with his father. 
Regardless of his bitterness and unforgiveness, Hezekiah had an enormous capacity for work. And before we go too much further, we don't know for sure about these things between he and his father, but they were opposites. Um, And there's something that's going to happen to Hezekiah in a very short while that's going to suggest that he did something very dishonorable towards his father. So Hezekiah has an enormous capacity for work. He opens the doors to the temple. He reorganizes the army, the priesthood. He issues proclamation. He reads the word, makes his own copy like Moses said to. The guy's unbelievable in his faithfulness to God. When convicted about his father, he ignores it because he's busy working for God. And working he was. When it was reported his father had died, Hezekiah didn't attend the funeral, much less appreciate or honor him. That's our suggestion. This is conjecture, but it just might explain something later. You know me, cause and effect, trying to explain things. Upon his father's death, he moved forward with his spiritual plans to bring back the kingdom of God to his city and nation. Hezekiah wasn't evil, but he knew his father was. He considered the lack of honor he showed him was okay, but it wasn't. He would find out later. But now that there was no evil eye watching over him, he moved forward with his plans, which he discussed with and agreed upon with the prophet Isaiah, who found the young man the hope of a nation. And as the temple doors were reopened, the priesthood had to be reintroduced because the Levitical priesthood as well was dismantled by King Ahaz. It's a lengthy account, but it speaks in such detail. It tells of the favor of heaven upon Hezekiah. Second. Chronicles 29.3. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priest and the Levites, assembled them in the square of the east side, and said, Listen to me, Levites, consecrate yourself now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all the defilement from the sanctuary. Our parents were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord, our God, and forsook him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. They also shut the doors of the portico and put out the lamps. They did not burn incense or present any burnt offerings at the sanctuary to the God of Israel. Therefore, the anger of the Lord has fallen on Judah and Jerusalem. He has made them an object of dread and horror and scorn, as you can see with your own eyes. This is why our fathers have fallen by the sword and why our sons and daughters and our wives are in captivity. Now I intend to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger would turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him and serve him, to minister before him and to burn incense. So an order goes out to find the priest and reestablish the Levitical priesthood. The Levites are slow to obey and probably hard to find, for many of them had bowed a knee to other gods, but Hezekiah didn't care, he just kept going. Now, this is where I'm going to pull a huge section and read it, because rarely do you get the long accounts during this time period of revival and and these type of accounts just in a single day. 2 Chronicles 29.15 When they assembled their fellow Levites and consecrated themselves, they went in to purify the temple of the Lord, as the king had ordered. Following the word of the Lord, the priests went into the sanctuary of the Lord to purify it. They brought out to the courtyard of the Lord's temple everything unclean they had found in the temple of the Lord. The Levites took it and carried it to the Kidron Valley. They began the consecration of the first day of the first month, and by the eighth day of the month, 
they reached the portico of the Lord. And for eight more days, they consecrated the temple of the Lord itself, finishing on the 16th day of the first month. Then they went in to King Hezekiah and reported, We have purified the entire temple of the Lord, the altar burnt offering with all of its utensils, and the table for setting up the consecrated bread with all of its articles. We have prepared and consecrated all the articles that King Ahaz removed in his unfaithfulness while he was king. We are now in the front of the Lord's altar. Early in the next morning, King Hezekiah gathered the city officials together and went up to the temple of the Lord. They brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven male lambs, seven male goats as a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. The king commanded the priests, the descendants of Aaron, to offer these on the altar of the Lord. So they slaughtered the bulls, and the priests took the blood and splashed it against the altar. Next they slaughtered the rams and splashed their blood against the altar. Then they slaughtered the lambs and splashed their blood against the altar. The goats for the sin offering were brought before the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on them. The priests then slaughtered the goats and presented their blood on the altar for a sin offering to atone for all of Israel, because the king had ordered the burnt offering and the sin offering for all Israel. He stationed the Levites in the temple of the Lord with cymbals, harps, and lyres, in the way prescribed by David and Gad the king's seer and Nathan the prophet. This was commanded by the Lord through his prophets. So the Levites stood ready with David's instruments and the priests with their trumpets. Hezekiah gave the order to sacrifice the burnt offering on the altar. And as the offering began, the singing to the Lord began also accompanied by trumpets and the instruments of David, king of Israel. The whole assembly bowed in worship while the musicians played and trumpets sounded. All of this continued until the sacrifice of the burnt offering was completed. And when the offerings were finished and the king and everyone present with them knelt down and worshiped, King Hezekiah and his officials ordered the Levites to praise the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with gladness and bowed down in worship. Then Hezekiah said, You have now dedicated yourselves to the Lord. Come and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the temple of the Lord. So the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings, and all those whose hearts were willing brought burnt offerings. The number of burnt offerings in the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, and 200 male lambs, all of them for burnt offerings to the Lord. The animals consecrated as sacrifices amounted to 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep and goats. The priests, however, were too few to skin all the burnt offerings, so their relatives, the Levites, helped them until the task was finished and until other priests had been consecrated. There were burnt offerings in abundance, together with the fat of the fellowship offerings and the drink offerings that accompanied the burnt offerings. So the service of the temple of the Lord was reestablished. Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced at what God had brought about for his people, because it was done so quickly. So Hezekiah wasn't done yet. He wanted to reinstitute all of the practices of old, and not just one of them, and his faith even rallies the country to radical deliverance and the tearing down of idols. And acting like more of an evangelist than a king, he sends notice to the old nation of northern Israel and the survivors to join them in reinstating the Passover traditions. I've got to say it again. I mean, he sends out missionaries to the old state of northern Israel to call them back to God. That's amazing. Second Chronicles 30. Hezekiah sent word to all Israel and Judah, and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, inviting them to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. 
The king and his officials and the whole assembly in Jerusalem decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month. They had not been able to celebrate it at the regular time because not enough priests had been consecrated and the people had not assembled in Jerusalem. The plan seemed right both to the king and the whole assembly. They decided to send a proclamation throughout Israel from Beersheba to Dan calling the people to come to Jerusalem and to celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. It had not been celebrated in large numbers according to what was written. At the king's command, couriers went throughout Israel and Judah with letters from the king and from his officials, which read, People of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may return to you who are left, who have escaped from the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not be like your parents and your fellow Israelites who were unfaithful to the Lord, the God of your ancestors, that he made them an object of horror as you see. Do not be stiff-necked as your ancestors were. Submit to the Lord. Come to the sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever. Serve the Lord your God so that his fierce anger will turn away from you. If you return to the Lord, then your fellow Israelites and your children will be shown compassion by their captors and will return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face from you if you return to him. The couriers went from town to town in Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulon, but the people scorned and ridiculed them. Nevertheless, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulon humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. Also in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered, following the word of the Lord. A very large crowd of people assembled in Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of unleavened bread in the second month. They removed the altars in Jerusalem and cleared away the incense altars and threw them in the Kidron Valley. They slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month. The priests and the Levites were ashamed and consecrated themselves and brought burnt offerings to the temple of the Lord. Then they took up their regular positions as prescribed in the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests splashed against the altar the blood handed to them by the Levites. Since many in the crowd had not consecrated themselves, the Levites had to kill the Passover lambs for all those who were not ceremonially clean and could not consecrate their lambs to the Lord. Although most of the many people who came from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not purified themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the Lord, who is good, pardon everyone who sets their hearts on seeking God, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, even if they are not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary. And the Lord heard Hezekiah, and, the pe- and God healed the people. The Israelites who were present in Jerusalem celebrated the festival on leavened bread for seven days with great rejoicing, while the Levites and priests praised the Lord every day with resounding instruments dedicated to the Lord. Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good understanding of the service of the Lord. For seven days they ate their assigned portion and offered fellowship offerings and praised the Lord, the God of their ancestors. The whole assembly then agreed to celebrate the festival seven more days. So for another seven days they celebrated joyfully. Hezekiah, king of Judah, provided a thousand bulls and seven thousand sheep and goats for the assembly. And the officials provided them with a thousand bulls, ten thousand sheep and goats. The great number of priests consecrated themselves. The entire assembly of Judah rejoiced along with the priests and the Levites and all of those assembled from Israel, including the foreigners who had come from Israel and those who resided in Judah. There was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the days of Solomon, 
son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. The priest and the Levites stood to bless the people, and God heard them, for their prayer reached heaven, his holy dwelling place. When all this had ended, the Israelites who were there went out to the towns of Judah, smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles. They destroyed the high places and the altars throughout Judah and Benjamin and in Ephraim and Manasseh. And after they had destroyed all of them, the Israelites returned to their own towns and to their own property. Next, Hezekiah reorganized the Levites. Second Chronicles 31 offers this, and it ends with the most remarkable verse, which is mind-boggling to consider. Second Chronicles 31.20 This is what Hezekiah did throughout Judah, doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God, in everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly, and so he prospered. And Second Kings goes even further. Second Kings 18.5 Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. What a king! Hezekiah is truly a revivalist. Reinstating all the traditions, all the worship of God, sending out evangelists, he's truly a man of God. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, Hezekiah just had an unbelievable revival. It's like the times of old with comparisons to Solomon of old and the extravagance of worship and sacrifice and devotion of its king. Hezekiah's steadfast devotion was incredible. He's got the makings of one of the greatest kings ever in Israel. Truly what he has already done puts him in the top five of Judah's kings. Well, the plot thickens when considering the geopolitical situation, and thicken it does. There is so much going on. Aram and northern Israel was just removed from the map, and Hezekiah was God's man. But a looming world empire overlowered it over Judah. We cannot ignore the sins of his father and the gathering threat of apocalyptic proportions. And Hezekiah did this all in the midst of the threat of foreign demonic horde that just destroyed Samaria. He knew it was coming, and he couldn't stand militarily against it. But he did the unthinkable, which we'll end the podcast with here. I've got to think in the midst of the revival, God spoke to Hezekiah's heart to stop sending gold shipments to Assyria. Most likely in obedience, Hezekiah did the unthinkable. He purposefully gave up paying tribute money to Assyria. He probably played it off for a while as the Assyrians um, asked him, why aren't you paying us anymore? Where did he go? Uh, To cause the Assyrians to be slow to react. And maybe he made a few excuses to delay them, but the inevitable was coming and he couldn't resist it. 
The great revivalist just picked a fight with the most powerful nation on the planet. And Hezekiah doesn't exactly have a, a huge, amazing army to resist the Assyrians. Um, they probably weren't very well equipped. They did have terrain on their side and fortified cities, but their army was probably outnumbered at least six to one in numbers and ten to one in equipment and training when you just make spreadsheets and compare the armies, you know, Judah versus Assyria. Hezekiah had strengthened Jerusalem against siege, but his nation was not ready for war against Assyria. Who was? Against the Assyrians. But Hezekiah was faithful to God. Trusting in God over the power of nations and armies, Hezekiah boldly resisted the Assyrians. The Assyrian reaction was a military buildup and thrust through the land of the Philistines, hooking east towards Lachish and Jerusalem. We'll see in the next episode about Hezekiah's engineering feat, the attack upon Lachish, Isaiah's involvement in this time period in a, in a crazy fast he does, Hezekiah's health issue that arises, the alliance of nations forming against Assyria, and the eventual seas of Lachish and then Jerusalem, and above all, what happens when a king puts his faith in God, and not in armies and soldiers and other nations. Trusting in God alone, Hezekiah stands against the greatest army the world has ever seen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com, share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.